You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1, we have come as far as verse 11, where it says, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation, the way I lived in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the nations, I immediately conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I abode with him fifteen days. Other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother, Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. And afterwards I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed And they glorified God in me. Paul, now in this second half of Galatians chapter 1, I hope you're reading ahead, is going to tell us why he is so passionate and why he is so zealous. The things he told to us in chapter 1, verses 4, on down to verse 10, where he said, look, this is the good news of Christ. You know, he came into the world to rescue us from this present evil age, to deliver us through the gospel. And he said, and I'm marvel, I'm astonished that you're so soon removed from that gospel to another guy. He said, but it's not, it's not an all, there's no alternative gospel. He says, so whether an angel from heaven or another man comes to you, preaches any other gospel, let him be eternally damned. He said, you think I'm saying this to please men? If I wanted to please men, how can I please God? And he's so zealous and he's so pointed and he's so heated in all of that. And now he begins to tell us why. He wants us to understand why he, he, he runs with the conviction that he runs with. He says, but I certify to you, brethren, which is a tender word, Adelphoi. He's looking at the family of God. He says that the gospel which was preached of me, he said, is not after man. It isn't of human origin. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught. It is in italics. Neither was I taught. I didn't learn it in school through instruction. But by the revelation, not of Jesus Christ, 
but from Jesus Christ, but by the revelation from Jesus Christ. He said, I wasn't taught by man. It wasn't by instruction. It wasn't of human origin. It was something divine that came to me when I learned the gospel. And he said, I learned the gospel of Jesus. It's from Jesus, not about Jesus, but from Jesus directly. Paul is telling us of his experience. And no doubt he's thinking of Acts chapter 9 where it says, Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. He desired of him letters to go to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or whether they were women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Understand this. Saul of Tarsus was the Antichrist of the early church. There was no greater threat. The church was vastly, most of it located in Jerusalem. It had begun to spread, but this was the man that was slaughtering Christians. He was making them blaspheme the name of Jesus at the point of a sword. He was destroying families. He was hailing men and women off to prison. He was feared, and he was fierce in his antagonism and his hatred for this new cult as he perceived it. And he was persecuting the church, and they were terrorized by this man. And he tells us certain things here. He says, and as he journeyed, Luke says, and came near to Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. We're told it outshined the noonday sun. I've been in the Middle East many times, and to imagine a sun brighter than the noonday sun, so much brighter it knocks you down. We're talking about some light. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, he tells us in chapter 26, this voice spoke to him in Hebrew and said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He knows this is divine. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the brick, to kick against the goads, isn't it, Saul? And then he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said to Jesus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is the picture of his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughters. He tells us in the verses we just read that he wasted the church, a military word. He sacked it. He ruined it. He destroyed it. It was his mission. And he's on his way to Damascus to do that. And then he said, there appears a light from heaven. In the other two places later in the book of Acts, when he describes his conversion experience, it doesn't have anything to do with Ananias. It has to do with what happened on the road to Damascus. No doubt that's where he is converted. And the voice spoke to him, not like God speaking on Mount Sinai, giving the law where the whole mountain shook and everybody was terrified and trembled. This is a personal voice speaking to him in Hebrew and using his name, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? He knows this is divine. Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? And then he says to Jesus, Lord, believer, when you call Jesus Lord, 
and he's standing in front of you in glory. What would you have me to do? Listen, there's certain things here. Saul, Saul. He's floored. This vision, this light, this voice, calling him by name. This is what he hears. Why are you persecuting me? What he's hearing is his zeal, his religiosity has put him in a position where he is the enemy of the savior of his soul. Saul of Tarsus, because he is religious, has become the enemy of the Messiah. And he's realizing that. Why are you persecuting me? This man, in all of his zeal and all of his learning and all of his religiosity, is actually the enemy of the Messiah. And that's all washing over him in this experience. We can imagine. He says it's hard for you to kick against the goads as it was an ox goad where you'd move an ox forward. Because it tells us back in chapter 7 and 8, Saul of Tarsus was there watching Stephen stoned. His ears are burning. It says they held their ears. They gnashed their teeth. And we know he's listening because most of of his sermons through the book of Acts as Paul were stolen from Stephen. And he's seeing Stephen's face shining, it says, like an angel. And it says he cast his vote, which means he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which means he had to be married. He casts his vote when he gave consent when they stoned Stephen. He was eyewitness of that, and it's been burning in his heart. And Jesus says, Saul, you're a stubborn ox. I'm goading you. And it's hard for you to kick against that, isn't it? He knew, you know, Paul was under conviction and it made him matter and matter. Look, if you have friends, neighbors, relatives, and you're witnessing to them and they're getting madder and madder, you know, fire and smoke is coming out their ears, maybe they're really close to getting saved. And there shouldn't be anybody in your life that you think this person can never get saved. I hope this person goes to hell. They drive me crazy. Who is your bitterest enemy in life? Because that's the one that Jesus saves here. His bitterest enemy on the planet was Saul of Tarsus. Nobody sit in this room and think, man, Pastor Joe, I'd like to get saved. I'm too far gone. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I've gotten involved in. I know better. Saul of Tarsus was kicking against conviction He was murdering Christians. He was making them blaspheme the name of Jesus at the point of a sword. He was creating orphans and widows. No doubt why one of the reasons he's so zealous to raise money to get back to Jerusalem. He thinks of those families he had wasted. Anything you think you've done that would keep you away from Jesus, Saul of Tarsus says to you, you're just an amateur. Let me tell you what I did. And let me tell you how I got saved. Why persecutest thou me? You're kicking against the goads. And what Saul of Tarsus realized here, it is all of grace. It's of grace alone. There isn't a single thing I've done with all my religiosity, with all my church attendance, with all my offering envelopes, with all the stuff I've memorized, with all the creeds I know. Saul is realizing there's not a single thing I've done that's contributed to this experience. In fact, religion has made me the enemy of grace. And he's realizing here the gospel, he's realizing it's not law, it's grace. It's not works. It's faith. It's not Moses. 
It's Jesus. It's not Mount Sinai. It's Golgotha. It's not earned. It's received. It's not trying. It's trusting. It's not religion. It's relationship. And it isn't do. It's done. It's done. It is all of grace. And this madman, this antichrist, is leveled before the grace of God And the Lord says, Saul, I'm going to send you to the nations. You're going to tell people about my good news. You're going to tell people about the grace of God. I'm going to send you into the world as my messenger. He's explaining, that's why I am so passionate, saying, if any man preaches any other gospel to you than the one you've heard, let him be damned. He said, because I'm telling you, if it had anything to do with religiosity, it had anything to do with religious practice, I would still be bragging. But he said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I've been brought in strictly by grace and grace alone. And that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved. After we're saved, certainly we should grow. But our salvation is of grace. Our standing is of grace. Our security is of grace. And he's preaching this message to this Galatian church, and they had so easily turned away from it, he's amazed with all of that. He says this, For you have heard, verse 13, of my conversation, my lifestyle, in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, and I wasted it. And I profited in, again, the Jews' religion above many of my equals, those of my own age, my peers that were learning in the schools in Jerusalem. I was more zealous than any of them. And he said, I profited, he said, above many of my my peers, my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, he says, of the traditions of my fathers. He's talking about rabbinic Judaism. Look, this is what he's talking about, and we want to understand that. About 434 years before Christ, the Jewish religious scholars who studied God's word pulled together what they called the Midrash, which was a commentary. The, the, the Bible was their text, and there were analogies, and there were you know pictures, and there were commentary on the Bible, and it was called the Midrash. And as time went on, it became the kind of the beginning of the Talmud as that was being formed. The Talmud you know, finally ends up to be this unimaginable burden. You know, you could write... The, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, on about 350 pages. The Talmud, when it's done, is 535 books, which today are collected into 23 volumes, and it was all ad nauseum, extra rules, extra, you know, all of this extra stuff that wasn't biblical. And what happened, and it's important to, listen, right before the days of Jesus... They started to work on what they called the Mishnah. The Mishnah changed the Midrash. It started to step away from real commentary on Scripture, and they started to add in all of these other things. The first thing they did is they said to the people, look, it's not just the written word. It is also the oral tradition. 
When Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, God not only gave to him the written word, God gave to him the oral word, the oral traditions that only the priests and the rabbis know. And they held it over the heads of the people. And by the time, 100 or so years before Christ, 200 years, Greek culture becomes such an influence that the rabbis are realizing we can't fight any longer. We have to, be, we have to include the culture. We're not going to reach the people unless we take the culture and include it. In what we live. Look, that's where we're living today. That's what happened to the church. The church was founded by the apostles. It was the word of God. It was authoritative. It was powerful. It was alive. As time went on, then they started to say, well, no, it means this, it means that. Then they included oral tradition. What the real authority is, it's the written word and it's the oral tradition. And the church is filled today with the Mishnah, with the liberals. We have to make the church relative to the culture. We have to bend. We have to yield. We have to fit this. Paul said it took the church... In the Old Testament, Israel to a place where they were dead. It took me to a place where I was dead. And the things that I was jamming down people's throat of oral tradition and religiosity and being slick and cool and savvy, it actually made me the enemy of the Messiah, the Savior of our souls. And I think you and I have to realize, look, whatever goes on around us, we've got to stay true to the Word of God. It has to be the word of God. It is powerful. It is alive. It doesn't need us to be cool, slick, savvy, culturally relevant. It doesn't need us to have secret oral traditions that nobody else knows. It's the word of God. And it's how the Old Testament church got off course. And it's how the church now has gotten off course through the church age. And Paul is saying, that's who I was. You know the kind of life I lived. And twice it's called here. Notice in verse 13, the Holy Spirit says in time past of the Jews' religion. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit again calls it the Jews' religion. Listen, the Holy Spirit is disowning it. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is not what was handed to Moses. This was the Jews' religion. The Holy Spirit says that twice. And Paul says, I was zealous in regards to the traditions of my father because as the Midrash evolves into the Mishnah, the the era right before Jesus, the Shemei and Hillel are the two prominent rabbis. Everybody's reading and they're interpreting. Shemei is more conservative. Hillel's more liberal. Hillel has a star student, a disciple, named Gamaliel, who becomes the head of the religious school in Jerusalem. Gamaliel has a star student named Saul of Tarsus in secular history, who he writes and says, I couldn't keep Saul in books. So that tradition of the fathers, rabbinic Judaism, passed to Saul. And he said, I was so zealous about it. I became so religious. I was persecuting the church. I was putting Christians to death. And he said, I found I came to the place where I was actually an enemy of the Messiah through my religiosity. And he's saying here, this is how it turned from religion to relationship. This is what happened. The living risen Christ stepped into my life. He stepped into my life. No doubt Saul of Tarsus had heard Jesus in the temple course. No doubt he had cast the vote to put Jesus to death when the Sanhedrin met. He had some inkling, some understanding, some contact, some visual, audible, you know, contact at some point with Jesus. But now he's realizing this one we crucified, this one that's risen. He, in fact, is the Passover lamb. He's the one. 
And it isn't theoretical. He's saying, I met him. The gospel that I preach, it's not of man, it's from him. He gave it to me. He spoke it to me. He shattered every piece of religiosity that I had and left it strewn around me on the ground as worthless as he overwhelmed me with his grace. And that's the gospel, Paul says, that I preach. He says, and I was steeped in all of this stuff. And look what he says. But when it pleased God, I'm glad that verse 15 starts with a but. Okay, forget all that. When it pleased God, notice what he says, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him to the nations. Immediately, he says, I conferred not with flesh and blood, then neither went I up to Jerusalem. What he's going to say now is when this gospel came to me, when Christ gave it to me, I didn't need to go to Jerusalem to have my message approved by the apostles. He wants them to understand that. So he says, when it pleased God, he says, who separated me from my mother's womb. Isn't that interesting? He's looking back thinking, I was crazy. You know, I raised in Tarsus, a Hellenistic Jew. I see what God was doing there. And then in the school of Gamaliel, I, I see why God, but I, Lord, I was so angry. I was so zealous. I slaughtered the church. And yet I look back and I realize, Lord, you, you called me from my mother's womb. You, you called Isaac that way, Lord. You called Samson that way. You spoke about him before he was born. Samuel. Jeremiah, which proves evolution is not true. Because he says to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were conceived, which means information is separate from time and matter. I knew you before you were conceived, he says to Jeremiah. Johnny B. Good. John the Baptist, the whole deal about him, you know, before he was born, the whole story told Adam. Cyrus, who wasn't a believer, a Persian, before he was born, God said everything he's going to do. And Paul's realizing here, floored by God's grace, Lord, you separated me, you had your hand on me. Look, I hope you can do that, you know. I hope if you're a Christian and you're struggling with condemnation today, you finally let that go. All of the things you've done, here you are today. Your attitude needs to be all of my failures, all of my successes, all of the heartache, all of the laughter. I wouldn't change anything, Lord, because here I am today. Here I am today. And this is all your hand. It's all your leading. And the fact that you would take a jerk like me is all about your grace and your glory. And if you're willing, I'm game, Lord. If you are willing, Lord Jesus, I am game. Here I am. Paul was separated from birth, interesting, by God the Father. On the road to Damascus, he was separated from death by God the Son. And in Acts chapter 13, as the church prayed... The Holy Spirit said separate under he was separated officially ordained on the ministry separated by the Holy Spirit into the ministry he was in in this situation. 
And he said, when that happened, he said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't need to go find out if what I was preaching was correct. You know, he said, he said, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Look, reveal apocalypsis, unveil. Paul is saying he didn't just give his son, you know, it wasn't just Christ is given for me. He said, Christ is also given to me. And he said, he's living inside of us. And he said, God has unveiled his son in me. People are looking at the change in my life. They're looking at the way I live. They're looking at how I lay down. Look at my zeal. They're seeing Jesus. And people should do that with us. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, there's good works foreordained that we should walk in them. And that you and I are his workmanship, his poema, poetry. We're God's expression to a lost world. And Paul is realizing that about his life. He said it came in his time to reveal his son who was in me that I might preach him among the nations. And immediately, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. He said, neither did I go up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and then I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I abode with him for 15 days, but other of the apostles saw none save James, the Lord's brother. So he says, he says, this was the deal. I get saved in Damascus. I'm there. You know, Ananias prays for me. I receive my sight. I'm filled with the spirit. And he said, I start to share Christ boldly. There starts to be tension. So I get out of town. But, you know, he must have been thinking, well, there's no sense going to Jerusalem if I'm causing tension in Damascus. And he's thinking, I don't need an approval of, of my message. I received it divinely, right from Jesus Christ. So he goes, he says, to Arabia. Now, the Nabataean kingdom went from Damascus all the way down into Saudi Arabia, Sinai. So that whole area in that day was known of Arabia. When he comes back to Damascus several years later, the Nabataean government, the king is after him. So he must have preached along the way, but no doubt he goes to Sinai, to Midian. No doubt Paul takes time where Moses and Elijah spent time with where the law and the prophets and no doubt he grinds through things there. He's going to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he, and he says, he says, the Lord, and it's all emphatic in the Greek, himself, him, Jesus, him, he spoke to me, myself, and that which I received of him, I delivered unto you, that the Lord of the night that he was betrayed took bread and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. Likewise, he took the cup. Paul says, Jesus himself gave me the communion service. I wasn't in the upper room. I wasn't with the apostles. I wasn't a believer. But he says, Christ himself brought this to me and revealed it to me and showed me this. So what were those three years like in Arabia? And he was married. You know, honey, I'm going to go get a carton of milk. I'll be back in a few minutes. He's gone for years. That's not good for a marriage. You know, honey, you know, I'm, I'm, headed up to Jeru- I'm headed up to Damascus. I'm going to get some, some of those, you know, nasty Christians. Okay, honey, kill a few for me. Uh, I'll see you in a few days. You know, three years he's gone. And he comes back with his theology ground into his heart by the grace of God. And when he comes back to Damascus, he starts to share there. He's a wanted man. They're looking for him. And they have to let him down over the wall with a basket. And then he says, then I went to Jerusalem several years after his, his, uh, 
conversion. And he said, I went to see Peter. I spent 15 days with him. I didn't see any other apostles, but I saw James, the Lord's brother. That's the Lord's half-brother. Same mom, different dad. Think about it. So he says, I went up to Jerusalem then to see Peter. He does something very interesting here. When he says, I went to see Peter, it isn't a word that has anything to do with the eyes. It's a specific word that means to become acquainted with. It was a word that the Jews used because it excluded instruction. He said, I went up there to be buds. I went up there to get acquainted with Peter. The reason I went there had nothing to do with instruction. They didn't add anything to me. I didn't go there to find out of my... He said, I went there to get acquainted. And I spent 15 days with Peter. Imagine what that was like. The old gnarly fisherman sitting down with the Hebrew genius, the scholar. Paul must be thinking, not many wise are chosen. God has chosen the foolish things that confound the wise. This fisherman walked with him, listened to his voice. I've been brought in. He said, I'm one untimely born, he'll tell us. He saw God's grace in the face of Peter. Nope, nothing to brag about, no certificates. He must have said, Peter, what was it like? Peter must have said, you know, because now he loves Jesus. This Paul, the Saul of Tarsus, and now he's listening differently. He must have said, did you really get out of the boat and walk on the water? Peter said, a little bit, you know, yeah, just why did you do that? He said, he said, that was the storm. He said, he said, he must have told him, you know, you should have seen it when the lepers were cleansed. You should have seen it when Jairus's daughter came back to life. You should have seen Lazarus hopping out of that tomb. The wind and the sea rebuked by him, Paul. You have no idea what it was like. Peter must have said, come on, let me take you, let me take you to where we had the last supper. And he said, look around the room. And he, and he said, that's good, that's good, because in, in Arabia he talked to me about it. I, I want to see, I want a picture. He must have said, let me take you to the room where on Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out on us. He must have taken him to Gethsemane. And said, Paul, this is where the rest of them stayed. This is where he took James and John and myself a little further. And then he went over there about a stone's throw. It was a full moon. We heard him weeping and praying. And the next thing you know, we were sonsies. We fell asleep. We were snoring. He had to come and wake us up and say, couldn't you watch with me one hour? He said, then the guards came. Right over there is where I hacked off Malchus's ear. And he picked it up and stuck it back on again. And let me show you the tomb, Paul. Let me tell you what it was like that morning when John and I ran right in and saw the, the windings. Let me tell you what it was like to hear the rooster crow. When I denied him three times. And when he came and stood alone with me, and showed me his hands and his feet and said, Shalom. 
I was begotten again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Go tomorrow with me to Bethany, and I'll show you where he ascended. The angels were standing there with us. They told us he's coming back. What was it like when he talked to James? What was he like when he was a toddler? Was he in the terrible twos or the wonderful twos? Was he a good carpenter? What was his favorite color? What flower did he love? Tell me about his sense of humor. What made him smile? What was it like to sit alone with him? What was his favorite game? James must have said, yeah, it's just, you know, he was a goody two sandals, you know, the whole time we were growing up, you know, I just, I knew he was different. I just didn't know he was that different. Then when he started to say that he was Lord Sepoath, the Lord of hosts, I thought he lost his mind. We tried to drag him back home. He said, who is my mother, my brothers and sisters, but those who hear the word of God and do it. And Paul, after the resurrection, he came to me. I said, Lord, I didn't know. No one in history has ever had an older brother who was God. And all of Paul's religion had turned to relationship. He was in love with his Jesus. He was in love with the grace that had set him free. He was as angry now at religiosity as he had been at the church before that, even more so because he was in the light. He didn't want anybody to touch the glory of Jesus Christ. He didn't want anybody to ascribe any merit to themselves. He knew it all belonged to the Lord. And he was a living message. And God's son was being revealed in him. And he says, The things which I write unto you, behold, before God, and he uses a legal term from the day that the Galatians knew well. I lie not. That was a legal term that would hold up in any court. He said, after these things, he said, I came to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by face to the churches in Judea. You can read the end of Acts chapter 9. They thought he was, I didn't believe that he was really saved. They were saying, no, no, don't trust. I'm telling you, don't trust this guy. He's going to get into your home Bible study. He's going to get into your church. He's going to be writing down your names. He's going to work Jerusalem. And when he's got the list, he's coming after you in the middle of the night with Roman soldiers. I'm telling you, do not trust this guy. He had to live all of that down. He said, I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea. It was one face most of them didn't want to see. Which were in Christ, he says, the churches. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me, what God was able to do in my life. Look. 
back to the area of Tarsus for eight years. It was probably during those years that his wife issued an official divorce. His family probably disowned him. They had been zealous and sent him to Jerusalem to study in the schools of Gamaliel. We know later he's going to say, don't I have the right to take a wife with me like Peter and the other apostles? Over 11 years from the time he is converted to the time he comes to Antioch, Barnabas, to really enter into ministry. Some of you, we can have tremendous experiences with the Lord, but we're still men, we're still women, and he can take years to work into us. You know, the, the measure of what we realize, the measure of truth, God still takes his time to work our hearts, to let us process all of that. It will be over 11 years before Paul is then in Antioch, and then eventually the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me now. Paul and Barnabas to the ministry I've called them to. Don't be discouraged. Don't be in a rush. Let what you have be a relationship, not a religion. We are so distracted on the horizontal. Pulled, 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 pulled. <laughs> they say there's young kids now, they call it a syndrome, that if they, if they lose their mobile device, they need counseling. It's not funny. That's why I still have an old a razor. Everybody tells me, get an iPhone, get an iPhone. I don't want an iPhone. My wife has an iPhone. Everywhere we go, it's the three of us. <laughs> it never stops. I want to be more connected on the vertical. I, I, I am having trouble. Listen, uh, and, and it's a great tool. I, I'm joking. You know, my, when people ask me, I say, look, my flip phone, my razor, I watched Star Trek years ago. This used to be science fiction. <laughs> and I haven't learned to use it all yet. I, I don't have time. But there are so many distractions on the horizontal that we can be religious. We can come to church every Sunday. We can do our stuff all week. I go to Bible study. I go to church. I do this. I do that. I sing the songs. Do I know Jesus better today than I did a month ago? Do I know Jesus better now than I did a year ago? That's the measure. That's the yardstick. Are we growing in grace and the knowledge of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we cultivating the vertical? It isn't easy. We don't want to get out of bed in the morning. We don't like to sit somewhere quiet. You know how it is. If everybody's gone, you're in the house alone. You hear creaks. You hear things. You, don't hear. you want the television on. You don't like to be somewhere quiet. I like quiet. I like hearing my ears ring. It's wonderful. And I am learning to know his presence. I'm growing in grace. I'm not a legalist. And in the knowledge of Christ, I could never earn anything or deserve anything. 
And if I was him, I wouldn't have picked me. But do we know him? How are you going to change the life of people around us? They don't care what you know. They only care who you know. If Jesus ain't real to us, we ain't got nothing to say. Got nothing to say. Sit with it. Stew in it. It's a wonderful process. Pray for me. That I might know him. Paul, the most religious man in the world, said that. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. If by any means I might be made conformable unto his death. And forgetting the things that are behind, I press forward to the high mark of God's calling in my life. I have not yet apprehended that which I have been apprehended for. Paul says, I haven't yet taken hold of why he's taken hold of me. I still don't understand how he'd ever love me. It's his grace. It's his grace. If you don't know him today, look, religion will drive you away from a loving God. Well, you don't know, man, the mess I've been in, I did this, I did that. You're a rookie compared to Paul and most of us. What we did, how we lived. Rob, Jerry was the worst. (laughs) Man, I look at the staff, you know, just you look at our staff. They are trophies for Jesus Christ to put on his mantle. Drug addict, alcoholic, mental case, you know, just all across there. Saved, redeemed, washed by my grace. Nobody gets the glory for these but me. That's what he wants in your life today. You can come the way you are. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to have the musicians come. We're going to sing a last song. We're going to lift our hearts. We'll have a prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, forget about religion. Forget about Calvary Chapel. Do you know him? He's risen. He's alive. If you don't know him, I encourage you to get out of your seat today. Come on down. Stand here. We'll pray with you. We'll give you a Bible. But standing publicly, you're saying, hey, I'm willing. I'm repenting. I'm turn- I don't want to play re- church. I don't want to play religious games. I want to know Jesus. If he loves me, if he died for me, if I can go to heaven, if I can be forgiven, if my whole past can be jettisoned and fall away, if I can have a new beginning today, I am ready. I am ready. Then you come as we sing this last song. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, I know you've overheard. We thank you for this day, Lord, this resurrection morning, Lord. And, Lord, there are so many things pulling on us, pulling on me, Lord. Forgive me, Father. The stakes are high, Lord, and... Never let me or any of us, Lord, be in a rut or a routine, Lord. Let us find you afresh, Lord, alive, Lord Jesus. Let us be so in love with you and overwhelmed with you, Lord, that your love is shed abroad from our hearts by the power of the Spirit, 
Lord, we trust you to do that. And Lord, we pray you would touch anyone here, Lord, that's been religious or even non-religious, anybody who doesn't know you, Lord, that all of that would fall away. And the power of your love and your forgiveness, unearned, undeserved, Lord Jesus. Your longing to take a filthy life, a sinner, a skeptic, an agnostic, an enemy, a bitter enemy into your arms and cleanse them and love them, Lord. Let that be real in this place today. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.